We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finally defeated COVID. Have a chance to get back and do a podcast. It's been a minute. We have a great show today. Fran Duffy joins for thoughts on Browns-Eagles joint practices, and then I'll finally share some All-22 observations from the Browns. Preseason 17-15 loss to the Commanders. All that and more on the latest and finally back OBR Film Breakdown. Okay, we're here. We made it. Finally back. First podcast in like five days. I have, if you've been following this show, I have very rarely taken more than two days off. I even hate when it happens two two days in a row for this podcast going on like three years now. So as you could imagine, this one hit me pretty hard. Now this version of COVID was different than what was obviously a bit more feared in 2020, have a bit better understanding of the disease as a society and all of that stuff. But Nonetheless, it's more flu-like than what happened in 2020, which is more just like a loss of taste back then. This one was rough, really rough. Like up with the OBR guys at the game, had to leave the game because just something felt really off and left the game after the first quarter. Couldn't even really see a lot of what I wanted to see in the first quarter. Got to see everything, obviously every play, but at a lower level in the stadium, it's just, you know, it's hard to see everything. So didn't even have any real insights on the first team stuff. So uh, left, slept Friday night, horrible. Had to go to the ER, get some fluid, different things on Saturday. And I've just been, I've been under like trying to figure out how to get out from this. I really have had a bunch of struggles. I'm not going to bore you with all that stuff, but like, I haven't been able to do anything if you've been paying attention. So really got to feeling that myself yesterday. The family also has COVID. We're trying to work through that. It's been a mess, but I think we can start to put some stuff together now. It's been a busy, since Friday, it's been pretty busy. Obviously, the Browns got together with the Eagles, and we're going to talk with Fran Duffy about what he observed from those uh, joint practices. Now, if you've been paying attention, I admit some of you probably have not. There are people that cover the team who... Uh, don't really like to speak ill about them in just about any way. Then there are some people who cover the team and watch the same practice and will have completely different takeaways where they have concerns about issues with the team. And those two sides clash and, and you know, try to see who's right about it. It's a, it's a whole big mess. So I try to find 
people who I think are really football savvy right down the middle will be able to give you some good insights on what's going on what they observed what happened in a way that I think will you know kind of be uh, passed along portrayed covered in a way that is is fair so I think Fran does a nice job of it because he's outside Brown's circle so that he can you know if there's something harsh to dish out he can do that now I think like I said this is uh, there's a lot to cover a lot of things have been missed so I, I, I certainly want to spend some time talking about the preseason game that I got a chance to finally go back and watch the All-22 of because that game at least needs to be covered in some form or fashion. But we don't need to go too deep into it because, I mean, hell, we're almost a full week removed and you've probably consumed a lot of opinions on the game already. If you haven't noticed, first piece of writing for VIP folks with the OBR put up in more detail than you'll get here some of my thoughts on the game uh, including player performances, all the usual stuff. And that's kind of the format I'm going to use for this year, more of a quick digestible you know, bullet point strategy to giving you what I think is important from the game. But in this one, you know, what stands out is the first quarter, and that's really the thing that we should care about the most, right? The Browns trotted out a significant number of guys that you were going to see on Sundays. The first defensive possession, a little bit disappointing when you got to third down to give up a contain situation I think Agbo got pinned a little inside uh, there on on that third down to get a to give up a first down they ended up giving up another completion before getting them to third down and eventually forcing a punt so that's good to see uh, ultimately them getting you know Washington into a, a a punt situation but what you can tell is that the defensive line even without Miles Garrett is dramatically improved I mean Zadarius Smith is a frontline NFL rusher. Ogbo had a great rush stop on the first play of the game. Uh, he he obviously is bringing some nice pressure from the opposite side of Zadarius. They bump Zadarius inside a little bit, let him feast or go after from that inside alignment. Isaiah McGuire was the next guy in, kind of bumping in, trying to create havoc off the edge. And I thought he performed fairly well, too. Had a nice cross chop pressure in the game. But, you know, Tomlinson inside, creating run lane disruption, obviously doing some things as a pass rusher, to get after the quarterback a little bit too, driving things into the backfield. I thought he did a nice job. Maurice Hurst had some moments too. Um, you know what, again, I like from the first team is I felt like they played fast and they played where they were supposed to be. Uh, you know, notes that I have was the blitzing stuff was fun. They were bringing pressures in this game, not sitting back, showing you a little bit of who they're going to be. They were bringing some slot pressures where they would drop the same side or opposite side defensive end into the seam to try to take away what is a perceived quick answer for the quarterback like that getting creative there they're walking up mugging linebackers in those pass scenarios throughout the game so I really enjoyed some of that stuff where you can get creative with your linebackers they're going to have a fun blitz package and it's clear to me Schwartz does want to bring he talked about bringing five as often as he can he is going to bring five people pretty often he wants to make life as chaotic on the opposing quarterback as possible. You know, when the Browns brought over Juan Thornhill, I think there was, you know, universal, I would say is probably the best way to say it, uh, acceptance of the signing, good signing. Not at the level of, like, this free agent, top of the free agent class as it was back with John Johnson, but just a good value signing in Thornhill. And you have to be careful, though, because it's not like they signed Jesse Bates or somebody of that ilk, like, Thornhill has some deficiencies. I think he covers really well. I think that's the spot he's most comfortable, uh, you know, performing in. And I think he's ranging. I think he's diverse. But there are times where he's his tackling, and he had two charted missed tackles from Pro Football Focus. But I think you could have given him a third 
where he just didn't get people to the ground in this game. Now, again, preseason game, first quarter, how much are you willing to sell out? I thought he was playing hard, but, you know, the sellout question is kind of in, in place. They're getting, you know, doing whatever you can to get somebody to the ground. I just didn't love it. There, in, in a short period of time, he's got to get people to the ground. A huge part of what he's going to be doing, if he's going to be a down safety, and, and he's going to rotate deep in him and McLeod in this game. And again, Ronnie McLeod, such a professional. You can tell the guys rally around that guy. I mean, he's leading the the pregame chant huddles. Like He is uh, really an important part of what they brought into Cleveland. Uh, underrated signing from, you know, people have talked about this and called it underrated, whatever, whatever, but you can see how it's going to pay dividends. You know, Grant Delpit, if you didn't know, was graduating from LSU, so he was not at the game, but I think what's important with McLeod is just he's in the right spot all the time. They can play him deep. They can roll him up, play him in the box. They were doing a little bit of that with both of those guys, and if if, if Thornhill's going to be doing a little bit more of that because you want to have some deception with your safety alignment, you don't want to always have one guy deep all the time in modern football, when confused quarterbacks, you know, Thornhill has to be able to get people to the ground. That's just going to be a huge part of what's successful or unsuccessful for him. So that stood out to me. You know, your highest graded players in this one, as we kind of trickle through from the first group, JOK, Zadarius Smith, Martin Emerson, Okoronkwo, all of those guys get good marks. Uh, Tony Fields, who played a little bit with the first and second group, received a strong mark. At the bottom of the group, Jordan Kunazic. I, I mean, I don't know if Jordan is going to – he's playing early. I don't really see it. I'm going to talk a bit about some linebackers I prefer over him, but he didn't grade very well. Jacob Phillips, as we know, uh, torn peck he's done for the year. I, I think you probably saw his last game in a Browns uniform in terms of it's one thing to have injury issues but still be playing solid football when you're actually out there. And there have been flashes early in Jacob Phillips' time in Cleveland, like his rookie year, had a couple really impactful games when he was out there, especially that late game in 2020 against the Steelers. He played well, like nine stop tackles. But since then, it has been consistent regression. And the regression is going to happen when you're just not exposed to the football field enough. He hasn't played enough, and he was hurting the defense more than helping it, and that's been the case too much in recent years. And when you run up against the end of your rookie contract and you've been – out multiple seasons on the IR, I, I just it, it catches up with you as a football player. So it's really unfortunate from all accounts. Phillips is a great guy, but the injury stuff is going to just sort of define his career. At least he might get another chance somewhere else, but it feels like his time in Cleveland has sort of come to an end. So those are the guys sort of at the bottom. I mean, the second unit players that stood out to me, I tweeted about this last night. Mahmoud Diabate, I think, is a real chance to make this roster right away. The UDFA out of Utah, also Florida, transferred to Utah. More of a rush defender in college, hybrid, jack-type player in terms of positional. But he is, as an off-ball linebacker, he can do some things, man. He's really athletic. You can see the frame and the and the range that he has. Testing is a really strong athlete. I like him. I mean, coverage grade stuff, all of that is one thing, but... I think he plays really fast. I think he triggers in a way that it can be successful. He reads guards, pulling. I like a lot of what I see from Diabate. And he's an you know, experienced rush guy, too. And if you they want to be bringing a linebacker more often than not, you need a guy who has some experience doing that. Not saying he'll reach the field over Walker, JOK, or these guys. But if injuries happen, which we all know that they have been too prevalent in that linebacker room, he has a interesting skill set to present that I think is going to draw the attention of the coaching staff. It probably already has. I think he'll get some more snaps early against the Eagles, and I think they're going to continue to give him early special teams reps because if he makes a roster, he's going to be all over the special teams. And I charted him, you know, with 
I think the only thing I didn't see him involved with from a coverage standpoint was punt return. I think I didn't see him involved in, but the punt team, kickoff team, KOR, like he's involved in all that stuff, which is a good indication if you're on the front line of that, that you have a chance, real chance to make this roster. We all know a lot of the names at linebacker that make the most sense. To me, there's four that feel like an absolute lock between Walk JOK, Taki Taki, and then Tony Fields. But then you're sort of looking at that fifth or potentially sixth guy that they could keep, and he stands out to me when Charlie Thomas who wears number 35, comes onto the field. And I should mention Diabate wears number 43 if you're looking for him during games. Charlie Thomas comes on the field with him, number 35. He also graded really strongly. He had a couple tackles in the game, too. And in the Hall of Fame game, had a really powerful hit near the sideline. He plays fast, too. When those two youngsters are out there, I really like both of them. I think Diabate is a guy who should be on the field at some point during his rookie year making the roster. Charlie Thomas is a guy I'm really looking to put on the practice squad because there's something there with him. He has a nose for the football, plays fast. I like both of them. I think those are really good UDFA signings for for the organization. Other grades that stood out, Ronnie Hickman had two interceptions. Now, the first one was a rangy sort of uh, up the sideline uh, free safety look, which, again, Jacoby Brissett kind of at 17 seconds left in the half put one up down the left sideline with pressure and, and kind of a, you know, out of field goal range, giving it a giving it a chance and, I give credit to Hickman for making a play on that. The second one was a really nice play driving on a basic route over the middle, which was uh, an impressive play. I really liked it, driving down the football, kind of at the catch point, stealing it away from the wide receiver. There's stuff to like there from Hickman. Now, he got burnt on a touchdown to Jahan Dotson. He was playing seam coverage. Uh, it looked like quarter uh, cover three to me, and he's playing that drop-down seam coverage against Dotson running up the hash. And he got beat when Dotson sort of leans to the inside to sell either a skinny or a seam route. Then he kind of puts the foot in the ground and gets back outside. Uh, and Hickman stood no chance. We know Jahan Dotson is expected to do big things for Washington. He's a good football player. But that's the type of player that Hickman should be familiar with, right? Covering Penn State and all those things. So he's got to be able to cover that stuff. That wasn't a great moment, but I thought he recovered really well. Ended up having a nice night. He had six total tackles, five assisted, one on his own. And uh, I thought he just got a lot better, and he showed that he can be a guy who can make some plays on the football, too. So a good step in the right direction for Ronnie Hickman. We know he's battling with DeAnthony Bell. I think DeAnthony Bell is probably still in, in the lead to make the roster. I think they like him. He's still in a lot of special teams that they're doing. He hasn't done anything to necessarily hurt himself. But anytime you come up with two interceptions in a game, you take notice of that, and especially for Ronnie Hickman, that's a, that's a good uh, that's a good uh, landmark moment for him as, as a guy who's trying to make at least a practice squad. He's got a, He's got a real chance to do that like I mentioned earlier with Maurice Hurst he was your highest graded interior player he had three tackles he had a sack hit hurry uh, all that stuff you like to see so uh, Hurst is he's out there he's available Tristan Hill is not he's got a chance to make the end of this roster Tommy Togi I again had a nice night he had a pressure in this one uh, he's stepping in the right direction but but you know this is the guy who'd be safe last year but this year with the Shelby Harris Tomlinson the guys in front of him you know, Ika's going to make the team no matter what. If they keep four defensive tackles or five, we'll, we'll see. He's doing things to put himself in a better position, but it's probably not going to be enough. You're going to prefer some others. Does that mean you can get him on the practice squad? Does that mean you want to keep him around in that capacity? That'll be a tough decision. But uh, I think it, at least worth mentioning that Togi has done some positive things. I've liked his reps overall. Jordan Elliott just sort of hovered around average 13 snaps. I continue to not be impressed to the point of uh, really wanting to keep him around, but they they seem to like him. Ika was out there for 25 snaps. He had two pressures, really bull rush related. He had a tackle. He does fine against the run. He's really immovable at times against double teams, and he does a good job of splitting and, uh, and anchoring against two of those guys. So, I mean, the run stuff is enough to keep Ika around. The only way he's going to generate pass rush, in my opinion, 
is going to be bull rush, and that's enough. I mean, if if they're getting guys turning the corner, bending the edge, making a quarterback step up, that bull rush stuff, putting a guard in the quarterback's lap, is again enough to enough to ultimately make it worth it, and and maybe find himself on the field in a little bit more pass situation stuff. I don't expect him to be. I certainly expect him to be an early down defensive tackle, but. He's going to have to find the field in some pass situations. You cannot like, just avoid those all year. He's going to be out there. He's got to find some more ways to win, expand his game. The, the Browns are going to hope that he can expand his game in that regard. He's got to play a little faster. Like I said, Isaiah McGuire had a nice pressure. He had 28 snaps on the game, uh, 20 in pass rush. I think they want him to be the fourth guy right now, and, and that's a byproduct of Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas being eliminated as competition. They could do better as an organization than Isaiah McGuire, but they want to develop the youngster, bring him along, see what he can do. I hope it works out. I think he's got real potential. He's got really big frame. There's a lot to like with Isaiah McGuire. He's got to get more comfortable with the NFL speed. I think that'll happen for him in, in the next two games. I'll be paying close attention to him. Cameron Mitchell, keep looking, noticing, catching him. I, I mean, he gave up one catch in man-to-man coverage. I do think he is going to be on the field at some point. He seems ready where he's supposed to be. He's a willing tackler. We'll see what the Browns do with these corners and where they're going to play him and align him all the time. But I, I keep thinking, whether through injury issues or something, Cameron Mitchell's going to find the field. He's going to be on the slot playing meaningful snaps at some point this year or into next year. Like This year strikes me as a, a limited opportunity for him, but he's going to have a role in his rookie contract. I feel, I feel pretty confident about that. Uh, otherwise, guys who help their case in this one, I think we've mentioned pretty much everybody who helped their case Guys who I don't think helped their case, kind of hurt their case. Cam Bright, who they brought in recently. Sam Kamara, didn't, he kind of stepped in the opposite direction, in my opinion. A.J. Green, uneven performance from him. Caught out of position too many times. Those are the guys who hurt their case outside of those I've already mentioned in terms of Kunasik and, and Phillips and some of the others here. But uh, defense performance was fine. They gave up the 17 points early, but I thought they rebounded and closed really strongly. And as far as who stood out to me the most, uh, Diabate continues to stand out to me the most through two games. Offensively, first drive, first possession, Watson only throws three for three for 12 yards. A couple throws I thought he could have made would have been forcing the issue. I don't think on a couple true pass set scenarios, one time Chase Young got up underneath, Jedrick Wills created some havoc. Deshaun did a good job scrambling, getting off Chase Young and scrambling. There was another early down uh, true pass set where Montez Sweat put uh, Jack Conklin on his right side, right into his side. Watson kind of slipped as well, but in both of those plays, he gained nine yards and eight yards stepping up running. You know, you that's a huge part of who Deshaun is. So you don't want to deter that. You don't love it being a, a staple of anything he's doing right now because you want him to be a thrower more than anything else. He certainly can do it, but those are just examples of how he can take what has been a negative for many quarterbacks the Browns have had before turn those things into a positive. The Browns ran some funky stuff with Elijah Moore. They put him in the backfield, motioned him out. I like that. I like unfolding coverage with him. I don't want him getting a ton of handoffs. Like, I just don't want to be a gimmick player. He did a great job turning that 18-yard run on that pin pull. I don't mind that every now and again. It is an option uh, with with Deshaun kind of giving that pin pull read uh, to Deshaun that he can pull it and run it. I thought Moore, again, did a great job of breaking a couple tackles at the second level and turning that into a big run. But he's a true receiver, and I want to see him play a majority of the time is a true receiver, but he kind of hurt the ribs too. That's another reason you don't love him taking hits from linebackers all the time. But uh, again, uh, I like Elijah Moore a lot. I want them to get creative with him just on a limited basis. He does not need to be a gadget football player for them. He has too much talent as a pure wide receiver. And I, th- I don't think they're going to do that, but I just kind of wanted to go on record noting 
that that's something that I prefer to see a little bit more. I think Deshaun graded out at like a 70 sort of average. I thought there was one play action where he could have manipulated. He had a flat route from Jordan Akins. He had a corner route from uh, David Njoku that I thought he could have manipulated the, the invert defender and kind of pulled him up to Akins and then hit the corner route, was wide open. Off the top of the drop, it was sort of a half and half. The guy was kind of half playing it. I thought he could have put some touch and lofted it over him, but... I get why he would dump that down and, and take the first down yardage. Otherwise, they ran a tight end screen that I thought was really well done from Watson, changed the arm angle, dropped it to Njoku. One defensive lineman sniffed it out to break it up. Otherwise, it would have been a really big gain. Uh, down near the goal line, they ran that read flat wheel, which I love. I wrote about it. I linked it in the article at the OBR. I think that they've got to get a little bit more comfortable with understanding that teams are going to you're going to get a pull read, but linebackers are going to be playing quick downhill and throwing that backside drag will be really important. I'll be paying close attention to how they handle that because I think it's a staple concept of what they want to do. You have to be able to hit that backside drag with place that linebacker coming up to fit, to, to sort of you know play the quarterback. So you got to get creative and maybe get uh, a loop around it is what I'm saying uh, to, to hit that backside drag because DPJ was open on one and then there was another late in the game with Dorian Thompson-Robinson ran it and they had the backside drag again. You just got to get to it. Otherwise, I think they're running that RPO stuff really well. The linemen aren't really leaking downfield all too much. Now, as far as schematic stuff goes offensively, they reeled back the inside zone, which I figured they would. They don't want to put on tape too much that that's their core sort of principle. They ran a little bit of it, but in this one you had more outside zone. I like running outside zone from pistol because that's a way you can get a lot of the best of both worlds scenario with Watson and Chubb, right? You can let Nick run from sort of an eye back field, downhill run from... You can run outside zone from just lateral gun, right? You can run it with him beside you, but I like it in pistol because you can get some of that turn the back to the defense deception and also allow Nick to be you know, the same aiming point player he would be from an under center uh, approach as well. So there's just a lot of advantage to that, and I like them doing a little bit of it. Uh, that was good to see because you can, you can, again, you can get really creative in the play action off that stuff, and I expect them to do that. Um, but the reflat wheel was a thing they were doing, and I, I think the O-line just looks a lot more comfortable with it. They did their traditional pen-pull stuff. That was all there. They ran a couple of them that I thought were really effective. One, there was... Uh, with inline tight ends and trying to pin and pull and, and and this is where you get it it gets dicey if you don't get the front side pinned and you don't climb to that front side sorry backside linebacker he will blow that football play up uh, very often so it'll look ugly so it, it's formation based I don't like inline tight ends against some of that lateral shotgun run stuff but I can see where the Browns are trying to be careful with that and that first possession I should know you know you you might be frustrated about how they handled that you know they were down at the one yard line after the second down run, they have two plays. They ran their traditional power with Felton under center stuff. Like that's not a surprise. Could very easily run play action. Maybe they don't want to put that on tape at this moment, early in the season before week one. I would say uh, at this point, you know, I wouldn't worry about that. Obviously they ran what I thought was an interesting fourth down run where they were trying to feel how teams will play a, a sort of pull read and the, the commanders did a nice job of it. They're trying to get a feel for how teams would react to it. The front side was blocked really well, but the backside read defender was the one who took it away. So I think they'll probably pair that with a throw for the quarterback instead of just making that a pure read. But they could have gotten under center and run a sneak and gotten in the end zone. They could have done a lot of different things. Didn't want to expose Watson to too many hits. So I'm not surprised how that goal line uh, situation went, especially considering their top two running backs aren't playing. So you got sort of scat backs back there. It's not going to be... A powerful run game scenario down near the goal line. So uh, nothing to really work yourself too much into a fit about that goal line situation. Um, you, you talk about maybe wanting to get Kate a chance to boost some confidence, but you're so close to the, that kick is meaningless. I don't mind going for it. 
uh, at all, and I, I don't think it really matters. Just trying to get reps. Uh, overall players that played well in this game, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, another really strong performance in 20 snaps. He's going to get the start Thursday. We'll get a better feel for him at that point on Thursday against earlier competition. He's played second halves. Uh, he's he's doing all the right things, and he should, right? Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a guy who played a ton of college snaps. He, he He's very experienced, so this shouldn't be all too foreign to him, right? The game speed, the uptick, the exposure to different schemes. He's seen a lot of football, so this is a guy who should be handling the situations in games the way he is. That's what you want. It's fine, but I want to see more, but I'm very impressed. I think that he's handling a lot of what defenses are throwing at him, cover six, cover two, some different coverage looks, even some, you know, sprinkling in some three and some man-to-man here and there. He's placing the football pretty well. He's picking up early coverage cues. His tempo is really strong. They're in and out of the huddle in a great way. Everything you want from DTR is in place. Now, the masterful stuff on the short game and understanding where to rip the football, he's doing a great job. I'd like to see more downfield stuff, pushing the football down the seam, taking some shots downfield, you know, giving your guys a fade opportunity. That's the stuff I want to see. Can he do the throws that are a little bit more tricky, the 10 plus 15, even 20 plus downfield? That's the stuff I want to pay particular attention to because the schemes are going to start to get trickier. Defenses are going to hide more. You're going to play against better competition on Thursday. That's what I'm drawn to. Can he handle that? Because this, the, the basement, the, the floor should be higher, right? The floor should be higher because of how much football he's played. The question for him is how big is that ceiling? And I think that's something to be really excited about based on what we've seen early. He's doing a fantastic job. So uh, DTR, you got our attention. You got everybody's attention come Thursday. You're going to be one of the main focal points with not many of the frontline guys playing. Uh, Otherwise, again, uh, names that stood out. Austin Watkins, he's an NFL wide receiver. He's not very fast. He's not running away from people. He is certainly a backup to Donovan Peoples-Jones, in my opinion. Can, Can do the backside dig stuff. Can run the sort of hitches. The outs, the slants, he catches the football really well outside of his frame and inside of his frame. We saw the one-hand catch in the Philly joint practices. He's an NFL wide receiver. He's limited somewhat of the ceiling due to the size and speed stuff there. But, you know, you watch him and you see him wearing number 80 and you sort of get a a, a feel for, for the old number 80 that was in Cleveland. He's not as shifty or as quick twitch as Jarvis, but... He catches the football well. He's got a chance to make the end of this roster. I don't know if they'll want to keep him because of some of the skill set redundancy stuff, but he's doing enough to put himself in consideration and a damn near lock for the practice squad unless some other team is trying to steal him away, which would, again, not surprise me at all. So uh, Austin Watkins deserves some praise. I thought Cedric Tillman in this one was a little bit slow, uh, coming in and out of breaks again. He is sort of learning. If you watched him at Tennessee, he was so reduced to this sideline role where he ran so many hitches and curls and the occasional slant. Like he is trying to learn the the, the position of wide receiver all over the field and operating in different portions of the field. And you can see the learning curve that comes with that. He's getting better. You're going to hear people shout him out a lot. I think he's he's got a great high point uh, catchability. I think he can do. He did. He had a great catch against Philly. I think Avante Maddox was covering him in that scenario. He's doing, he's doing the right things. I just want us to pump the brakes a little bit on expecting him to have some giant role this year. I think it's going to be very much bring him along, and have him in during certain packages of formations the same way they did the rookie year of Donovan Peoples Jones. He'll be out there in certain formation packages, a certain set of plays. But unless injuries happen, which is always possible, he's not going to be 
taking some role, in my opinion, very early. Now, maybe later in the year he develops when he gets more opportunities. We'll see. It's going to be a player in his rookie contract, but let's just make sure we slow the hype train a little bit there. But again, in this game, he just looked a little slower than normal. The in and out of breaks, there was rain. So there's some of that to keep in mind, but he didn't really create the separation that I'm accustomed to seeing from him. As far as up front guys go, Nick Harris is back. He looked really good. 44 snaps. I think there's, you know, there was some concern about a guy coming back from ACL surgery. He looks good. He's going to be on the roster. There's not a doubt in my mind. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Dunn looked good playing with the first team. I think he's going to continue to be an integral part of their second unit interior group. Posich was fine when he was out there, in my opinion. Luke Whipler played some guard snaps to go along with the center snaps. I think that's important to to note as they think he could be a movable piece inside a little bit that that would help. I do think at this moment they're keeping Harris and Whipler. So that's a step in the right direction. Dewan Jones was fine. He's, he's sometimes some technical stuff that needs to be cleaned up some sort of like the delivery of his punch and where he, uh, you know, where he overextends himself a little bit, but he's such a mountain of a human being. Nobody even threatens to, to, to pursue his anchor. Like no one even tries to bull rush him because it feels like such a you know, wasted uh, wasted energy. And I'd love to see one of the big-time edge players, and I hope we see some of Nolan Smith, you know, the, the first-round pick of the Eagles, uh, potentially get, you know, match up with Jones. We'll talk about this in a little bit here with uh, Fran Duffy, but I, I would like to see somebody challenge him in a way he hasn't been challenged before. He's doing a nice job. The feet are good. It's where he's supposed to be for the most part in terms of getting to the pass set drop and being able to handle the guys who are high arc runners, and Nolan Smith is too. But I'm going to be interested when somebody who can really challenge his anchor, he's just such a massive mountain of a human being uh, that, I, that I'm really interested in what that looks like for him. Because that's the next level of challenge for me is somebody kind of challenging him right through the middle of his of his core and seeing if they can move him. Because that's something that like Conklin struggles with right now at times is anchoring. Well, if Dewan Jones isn't struggling with anchoring and he's still kind of fast enough just because of his sheer arm length and where he's supposed to be to sort of keep people off that corner then that to me is worthwhile of having a discussion of should that guy be playing because he's good. He's he's proving that he can do the baseline stuff that you need to happen at the position early. Now, there were some mental mistakes, like there was a fourth down where he went the wrong way. They made a check at the line of scrimmage, and they went to a zone to the right, and he thought it was to the left. Like you can see, and his run grade suffered a little bit because of it. You can see there's some mental stuff that he has to clean up, but he's able to do a vast majority of what the agility-based things are needed at the position. And I have yet to see somebody really challenge his strength because if you look at that human being, why would you feel comfortable challenging that strength? But I want somebody to do it at some point to put some pressure on. So we'll be paying attention to that. Guys who hurt themselves in this one, Wes Martin did not help himself in any way, shape, or form. I I think he's pretty clearly going to be let out. John Kelly just didn't run really well. Didn't think he found holes the way he traditionally does. So I didn't have a high mark for him. Um, you know, Hassan Hall had a fumble, put himself in a bad spot, got taken out of the game. Otherwise mentioned most of the others that didn't play well. Dobbs threw a a really rough, I mean, Dobbs is fine. He's going to be, he can operate most of the offense. He can do the things that that require some mobility. He throws the football fairly well. The question is, is Dobbs worth keeping over Dorian Thompson Robbins? Because I don't think the team's going to keep three quarterbacks. Those roster spots are valuable. You take advantage of the three quarterback rule, probably into the postseason. Because that's when you kind of have to keep all your options open. You never want to be put in an elimination game where you need a third quarterback and you don't have one. I just don't know keeping three quarterbacks early is enough. And is is Dobbs, who's pretty clearly 
not going to see the field Thursday, I don't think. Has he done enough? Maybe they think so, and they just are going to go with him no matter what, and they're going to do the three-quarterback thing with DTR. But I just the, – there was that throw up the seam where he sails it high because he's trying to almost you know, be sort of uh, – I don't want to say too cool, but he just kind of let his uh, mechanics get away from him when he didn't need to hold the safety and then flip and try to throw that real quick. That throw was really unnecessary. Like I just thought he was, I don't know if the phrase is like feeling himself. He thought he could make that throw without tightening up the, the mechanics to get on top of the football, but he, he didn't drive over top of it. It's, it's sort of pushed and sailed. That's a turnover he can't make. I mean, he's going to be in the game to manage games. He cannot turn the football over, so that was a really ugly look. And I just wonder how serious the Browns are going to get about Thompson Robinson taking over that initial role. I, I think Thursday will be a interesting indication of, of one direction or the other. Demetri Felton played late into the game. I don't know if they just didn't want to play Hassan Hall anymore because they were mad about the fumble. Felton was out there a lot. He's a third running back, right? He's a third running back. Uh, I don't know what that third running back role will look for him. The pass protection stuff is not great. And he certainly is not quite as agile as you would like to be that scat back. I bet he can catch the ball. He does some baseline things fine. Again, a third back for me. But you're going to want more. Jordan Wilkins, we'll see what he can look like when he gets out there and has a chance to to sort of perform as well. But not not some Demetric Felton home run game that solidifies feeling great about him if he he does get a bunch of opportunity. Again, he had a nice little Texas route that I thought could have been a big gain, but the quarterback threw it to a different spot. He can do some things fine. I think he'll run routes well. I think he can do some of your lateral run game stuff fine and even hit inside zone here and there for decent gains, but but he's not a guy that you want to expose to 30, 35 snaps in, in, a, in a real NFL game at that position. But as a third back, fourth back, it's fine. Needless to say, they need Jerome Ford to be out there week one or they need to go sign somebody serious. I don't know if Wilkins will be that serious, but they would need to sign someone. The only other player I want to hit on is Tyrone Wheatley, who in 41 snaps at left tackle was really good. He moved extremely well. He was never overexerting himself, very patient. The run game stuff, he had great angles, powerful at the second level. Good job of securing the first level. I'm watching Tyrone Wheatley Jr. very closely going forward because... He looks in shape. He looks like he can handle some stuff that I'm like, this is interesting. I want to see him play earlier. He graded really well in this game. Uh, I just, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm curious. You've got my attention, Tyrone Wheatley. Uh, Cade York and the kick stuff. I, I don't know. They're gonna try to keep placing confidence in him. It, it, we'll, we'll discuss him when we need to. Uh, I guess I, there's nothing I can add to that conversation. They punted it fine in this game. They covered it fine. Uh, I don't have any issues with that stuff. Didn't, nothing stood out to me. Cade's just got to make kicks. And if they want to do the whole we're going to place confidence in them, then they have to be ready to deal with those consequences of misses in meaningful moments of the regular season. And maybe that pays off down the line. I don't know. Kicker's window of proving confidence is so narrow it's really tricky, so I, you know, I don't know. We're just gonna have to hope for the best with Cade in the kicking situation, and hopefully he can he can make some in the next few preseason games. He's kicking well in practice. He was six of six against the Eagles, and um, you know, sort of those moments that they they press the kickers for both teams. He's kicking well outside of these kicks in games, and and the thing that doesn't bode well is that the practice stuff doesn't matter though. You have to make them in stadium environments. 
and he's not doing that, and it's making everybody really uncomfortable, but yet they don't want to bring in any competition. But if the next two games don't go well, maybe they do. I don't know what the breaking point for them will be, but it certainly feels like we're looking at a breaking point in a way that's very uncomfortable. We're going to shift to focus on Brown's joint practices with the Eagles. I'm going to have a great guest on in just a moment. Before we do so, though, a quick word from our sponsors. You ever been up against buying tickets last minute, can't figure out how to get it done? The OBR group recently tried to go to the Browns preseason. We were up against the clock trying to figure out if we could get tickets hooked up, if we needed to buy them. We had to end up buying them, went to the Game Time app, and let me tell you, this is the best place to find tickets. It should never be stressful. They pride themselves on making it as seamless as possible. Killer deals on last-minute tickets. The best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets. Start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you're starting to poke around about getting tickets for Browns Bengals Week 1, this is the place you need to go Game time has everything you need. You don't have to plan months in advance, but if you do, they have deals on tickets now all the way up until the day. You get images from the seats you'll be sitting in to know what you're looking at, what the view will be, get that low price guarantee. And then talking again, those exclusive flash deals on tickets are what makes the app so great. And the game time guarantee means you'll get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less They'll credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You get those images from your seats. You get tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. They're sent directly to your phone. You never have to dig through your email. So here's what you need to do. Download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use the promo code, quite simply, OBR, for 20% off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code OBR for $20 off. If you want to use the URL, it's gametime.co, okay? But the app is where it's at. It's perfect app. Download the GameTime app today. Promo code OBR, $20 off. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, guys. Welcome in, Fran, to the show. Fran, thanks for taking time for us, man. No, Jake, appreciate it. Uh, uh, look, this was a pair of teams that had really good practices last year in Berea, and you and I had a great conversation last year. So uh, good to be able to rehash that here uh, this week. Yeah, there's there's very few voices I trust to 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 cover this in a more uh, straight down the middle fashion than you. I know you'll you'll give us the analysis that's not tilted in any one direction. So I think what I want to start with is is probably one of the more contentious parts of uh, where the Browns are at right now. We all know that the Browns have pretty. I think that it's, it's safe to call them pretty talented on both sides of the football. Everything for the Browns though hinges on Deshaun Watson. It just does. How good he can be, how effective the offense can be built for him, so on and so forth. I know you were able to spend a decent amount of time watching the Browns' offense against Philly's defense. I think Philadelphia's defense is is one of the better ones out there, right? I know they're building linebacker unit, they're doing some different things, but talk talk to me if you can about what you felt like you saw from the Browns' passing offense. It's in a bit of an interesting spot. And Deshaun Watson obviously is a point of contention on how successful they're being in this sort of 11 on 11 setting settings, you know, seven on seven, you and I know the Skelly sessions, huge offense tilt. It's going to look good for the offense. You should be throwing successful throws all over. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what it looks like when the collective gets together. Did you feel like the Browns on either one of those days, Fran had successful strings of offensive plays? Now you can be harsh. You can be bluntly honest with us because we're trying to get a feel for where this offense is at from a collective 11 guys on the field unit. You know, and this is obviously, look, without without going through the film, just what I saw out on the field uh, for the two days of practice, I spent pretty much all of my time watching the Browns offense against the Eagles defense. Uh, you know, you know, covering these joint practices, there's so much football going out on the field. And typically the way that uh, my partner on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast and I, uh, Chris McPherson, have split that work up over the last few years has been, okay, uh, on one day, one of us will watch the offense, and on the other day, we'll switch, and then that way we've each seen a little bit of both. Well, this year, we were like, all right, well, why don't we each just stay on one side, and then that way we feel like, all right, we have mastered what happened uh, over the course of a two-day span. We could talk about improvements we saw, so on and so forth. So all of my eyes were on Deshaun Watson and this passing game going up against the Eagles defense. And honestly, look, they did seven-on-seven seven sessions, which you mentioned. You're, you're just generally tilted towards the offense. I thought Deshaun Watson in those like pure like drop back settings and seven on seven because you're not rolling the pocket. There's no play action. You're not doing a lot of that stuff. Um, he was sharp. I mean, he came out uh, the first throw of seven on seven. It was down in the red zone yesterday on uh, on Tuesday, and they ran like a little like out and up. It was some kind of a double move to Jordan Akins, and he striped a throw. I think the Browns posted this one on their social media account. Striped a throw to Jordan Akins in the back left corner of the end zone. He threw another touchdown a couple of plays later. And to me, like in the, the pure dropback stuff in seven on seven, he looked really sharp. And even in the 11 on 11s, more so on Monday than Tuesday. Um, honestly, I thought the bigger the bigger question for Cleveland over these course the course of these two days 
was the protection. Uh, you know, Jedrick Wills did not hold up super well at left tackle going up mostly against Josh Sweat. Uh, Wyatt Teller had some issues with Fletcher Cox on the inside. Um, and it, look, it's two really good units, right? Uh, the Browns regarded as one of the better offensive lines in football. The Eagles defensive front, one of the best uh, in, the, in the league as well. So it was definitely good on good there. But to me, like when Deshaun Watson was in straight drop back and he had time, uh, he looked sharper this year than I thought he looked last summer. Uh, and obviously there's a, a multitude of reasons for that. Yeah, I think it's Reed Blankenship got him a couple times, right? Did, did you have any insight on what what sort of happened on those interceptions? I know Reed seems to be putting himself into the forefront of some one of the guys who's you know reading eyes better than anyone in the league. So, yeah, do you have any insights on those? Yeah, so Reed Blankenship had three picks in two days. Uh, two of them came on tipped passes. So Zach Cunningham, uh, the linebacker the Eagles signed a couple weeks ago uh, off the street, he was able to get his hands into the passing lane underneath. One was on seven on seven. The other was in an 11 on 11 period. Uh, knocked the ball up into the air. And both times Blankenship was able to come down. He was kind of like Johnny on the spot in the end zone. The other one was in a scrimmage situation. It was like a two-minute drill, 45 seconds left. He got the ball at midfield, got to have it. I think each team had one timeout. So Deshaun Watson, he's driving, driving, driving. He had a couple completions there. And very end, it was his last throw of the day. On Tuesday, he tried to go again to Jordan Aikens down the seam and blanket ship. I don't know what the coverage was. Again, kind of watching it you know, from field level, but was able to undercut the route, stepped in front of Aikens, and made the pick in the back of the end zone. And so uh, I would say that one was like the most impressive. The other one's like, yeah, it's important to be there for those tip balls, but uh, those were the ones where uh, I thought that last one was rather was the one where, yeah, he really got Watson uh, on that final throw. From the offensive side, I know it's hard to really get anything. You're not, you're not, I mean, for the most part, not bringing guys down to the ground all the time. So yep. run game stuff isn't always, you know, it's especially you're talking about sideline and behind the stuff. Why it's not, it's, I try to explain this to people all the time. When you're on the sideline watching, it is so hard to pick up the things you want to pick. They call your podcast the eye in the sky because that's what we all need. We need to see 11 on 11 with, uh, with everybody consuming it. But I will ask, I know you're not there necessarily to watch the Browns, but did anybody else, I know we talked Watson. The offensive line, was there anyone else that stood out to you uh, as far as the Brown side? We were like maybe looking up a player on the roster, like who is that? Anything like that from your consumption over a couple of days from the offense? You know, this uh, I'm gonna, there might be a little bit of bias here. I'm a little bit in the bag for this guy, uh, you know, based off the pre-draft process. But uh, I thought Cedric Tillman made plays both uh, both days and with the first and second team unit. Like he caught some passes from Deshaun Watson. He caught some passes from DTR as well. Uh, and you know, he, he looked impressive. He's a big kid. He ran some good routes. He looked good at the catch point. He had one. He had one catch. I believe it was in one on ones on the first day against Avante Maddox, the Eagles' starting uh, nickel corner, uh, where he was down the field. He went up and over. He had another touchdown uh, yesterday on, on Tuesday and so uh, Cedric Tillman I would say was another name that really kind of stood out for me um, as a player to watch from that Browns offense so you get a chance to come together collectively and watch the the end 11 on 11 session really yep. the scrimmage periods the Browns defense um, and I know maybe you got some insights from your partner like you said talk to me a little bit about what stood out on that side, I'm sure I know there were some really, you know, uh, Kelsey talked about the defensive line and there's obviously the Jim Schwartz connection. And it's yep. it's cool to see everybody kind of come back together on this side, seeing Jim just walking around that facility again. You know, there's so much history there. Like, um, yeah, get, give us some of his insights, what he thought stood out defensively from the Browns and, and against that. I mean, the Philly offense is dynamic, so it's a good challenge. 
Yeah, the the general consensus, especially after day one on Monday, was that the defensive line for Cleveland had won the day, and that the the Eagles had uh, a lot of issues trying to protect Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, and I know the coverage on the back end was very good as well. I know Devontae Smith and Denzel Ward had some really good battles throughout the two days uh, of practice, both in one on ones and then in team sessions as well. Sometimes Ward was able to come up with the play. He had a pick in team drills. He had a, a PBU, I believe, in the one on ones on that first day, and so Denzel Ward showed up and then Devontae Smith would come back and he made some catches against him right so uh there was a lot of good back and forth there and I would say the same between A.J. Brown and Martin Emerson uh A.J. got him at the in the in that team session at the end the scrimmage situation uh towards the end of practice yesterday it was right in front of me plucked the ball right off of Emerson's head uh kind of flung the ball after at him afterwards it was honestly uh on Tuesday it was a really spirited practice like uh things kind of scuffled up a, a little bit right where things were boiling over but Nothing crazy. It was just really good spirited football on both sides. I thought both teams brought a lot of great energy to the field on Tuesday. And that was honestly the case last year out in Berea as well. It was uh, it was good to see both of these teams really going at it because there's talent on both sides. They, the Browns, they just have, they have a big football team. This is a, a big physical team. Uh, you could tell the identity that Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski are going for on both sides of the football. And I, I thought they gave the Eagles really good work here this week. So with, with Philly coming up, Thursday, they both get together. I don't think either of the teams are going to play their 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 front line guys. That's pretty obvious, right? Um, now, is, is is Philly going to put put out some of those young guns drafting on the defensive line? Like, what are you, uh, you know, when you're covering it from your side, what are you guys put, paying particularly close attention? Because Brown side, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson. I don't know if you had a chance to watch him. They're really excited yeah. about that young quarterback. He's going to get a chance to start. So it's just kind of like looking at what what's Philly going to try to build on in this this preseason game to make it meaningful. Yeah, I mean, really the way that they handled it this past week against Baltimore was that the the you know, the, the starters, the frontline players, they they for the most part were all out. They all they all rested, uh, and then that second group, you know, the, so led by quarterback Marcus Mariota, they played. I believe it was like two or three series, you know, they, kind of like that first quarter, and then it was the threes and fours from that point on. We'll see exactly how they treat it this week. You got to remember too, they're on a short week, right? So the Eagles played on Saturday night, uh, and then they had these two joint practices Monday and Tuesday, and then turn around for a Thursday game. And so, uh, is it going to be completely threes and fours? Are those starters, uh, the you know, quote unquote preseason starters, are they going to get a ton of time in this game? That will be something interesting to watch. That said, you know, you mentioned these rookies you know, and the Eagles. They, they had a bunch of picks in the first couple days of this draft. Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith in the first round. Uh, you've got uh, the second round pick in Tyler Steen. You've got another, a third rounder there in, uh, in Sidney Brown. Right. So you've got some you know, kind of high profile rookies. None of these guys are working with the first team, and often they were working with the threes uh, at times throughout camp. Now, Jalen Carter, he only played two snaps uh, this past week against Baltimore, so he's pretty fresh, and he's getting more reps with the ones as camp goes on, especially as they get into some of those heavier fronts. So I don't know how much Jalen Carter we're going to see uh, you know, in this game against the Cleveland Browns. I don't know how much of Nolan Smith we're going to see. But that said, like I mentioned, both guys have gotten reps with the third team. I don't know a lot of teams in the NFL that are rolling those two guys out uh, with the third team. And so my guess is we might see a little bit of them, but that kind of remains to be seen. Nick Sirianni is usually pretty coy about who he's going to play and not going to play when it comes to these preseason matchups. Yeah, a little Nolan Smith Dewan Jones matchup would be fun to watch for a few no snaps if we could catch some of that. Listen, he he does some of the best X and O work you'll find in the NFL. Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Journey to the Draft. Fran Duffy, listen, anytime we get of yours, man, is greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, Jake. Thanks. 
Huge thanks to Fran for joining the show, taking the time. I, I really mean it when I say I don't trust uh, insights from a lot of people covering camp uh, in, in, in those settings as much as I do a guy like Fran who really studies it from the right perspective and angle. I just want to reiterate, this is training camp, uh, and, and again, it's preseason, and it's tough. Uh, what, what I'll say is this. Be careful one direction or the other, too positive or too negative. The truth is usually right in the middle. You know, when you're watching practice from the sideline, you can't see everything. You really can't. And, and in practice settings, it is built toward repetition, getting better, trying to put guys in situations so coaches can know what they can handle, both too much or too little, right? So if you're really, really worried about the 11-on-11 passing settings, true pass drops, if you listen to people who cover the Rams for years, they used to say, you know, the, the, the defense would take Aaron Donald out so that the first-team offense could actually get some work in. It's the same with Miles Garrett. In practice, you're not going to be double-teaming him. You're not going to be chipping him. You're not going to be doing things that would normally happen in a game setting to slow down elite pass rushers. So Miles has a chance to wreck a lot of plays. The same for Zadarius. The same for a lot of these guys. Like there's schema, There are schematic things you can do to combat the strengths of the opponent you're facing. The Browns are not going to be doing that all the time in camp because they're not trying to beat the defense. They're just trying to better themselves. So that's important to understand, right? So like game plan things aren't going to happen in camp because that's a disservice to figuring out the, the boundaries and limitations of what a guy can and cannot do. So don't read too far into one way or the other. I can guarantee you the people being overtly positive are doing it for a reason, right? It's not, everything is not sunshine and rainbows in camp. And I don't think that's what's happening with the Browns, but I also don't think it's the sky is falling scenario here at all. I'm very intrigued by what the Browns look like when chaos happens, because that's a huge part of what happens on Sundays at times too, is that things break down and can you create positives out of negative? They will block things up this year. They will give Watson time, but are they able to make those plays, you know, those plays downfield, right? The Browns have had exposure in practice setting, from an offensive perspective, to two defenses. Their own defense, which we all think is going to be vastly improved and pretty dang good, and now the Eagles, who we also think are pretty dang good defensively. So maybe let's hold on to our opinion of the offense from a definitive standpoint until we see them play some of the average, even below average defenses that are out there that they'll get a chance to play this year. It's not. It's never a bad thing to work against really good defenses, especially considering you face the Steelers early, the Bengals early. Those are good defenses. So being prepared for what that's going to look like could ultimately help them. But there are reasons at times to understand why some of the pessimism is happening, or you know the 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 perspective of it's not going very well, and understand that there could still be growing pains inside of an evolving offense from a play calling quarterback blocking all of those perspectives. It's going to take some time to gel, and I don't think they're just going to go into the season with the perfection coming out of the gate. Let's put it that way. There's a chance for some growing pains there, but can they do enough defensively to be good enough to help the offense work through the growing pains? That's more of what we thought was going to start the start of last year was going to look like. It ended up being the opposite. We need that to play out with the defense coming out of the gate really strong this year to help ease the burden of an offense that's going to be evolving, and then hopefully they hit their stride and take off. 
That's a lot of stuff covered today. I went longer than I anticipated on that commander's game, but you know me, I'm thorough. It's just in my nature. And then I think that Fran did a great job breaking down in just 10 minutes. You know, that I think is all you need breaking down what he saw from Brown's Eagles joint practices. We will be back with a game day show tomorrow and then a recap show of the Thursday night action after that. And hopefully back to our consistent coverage schedule that you get at the OBR film breakdown. It's a lot. I'm sorry for missing time. You know, I hate it, but I'm glad you guys were hungry for the content. I'll always continue to make it. If you want it. Thanks to so many of you who reached out to wish me well, uh, during the, the the stretch of COVID and, and just to check in and make sure everything was fine. Again, that means a lot to me that you would take the time to do that. So to those of you who did, really, really appreciate that. That's it for today, though. Stop by and rate and review the pod. That's always really appreciated, guys. We're going to continue to evolve this thing to be better and better over time to give you the fair, unique, and honest analysis that I think is what makes the OBR film breakdown better than any other Browns podcast out there. So uh, thanks for your patience. Uh, Thanks for stopping by today and listening and uh, continue to check your feed as you should get your regularly scheduled podcast moving forward. Have a great Wednesday, everybody and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.